Welcome to the May the Smoke Be With You podcast. And now here's your host, Joe Levitt. Welcome to May the Smoke Be With You podcast. Uh, I am I'm super excited here. This is for for a few reasons. One, this is my my first ever podcast. Uh, <laughs> yes, and uh, so that's reason to be excited. And number two is is because of my my first guest. And they say you want to come out of the gate really strong, and and I am today because I have Chef David Olson here with me, Live Fire Republic. Chef, thanks so much for being here, being my first guest. Man, I am so excited about this. You <clears throat> sent out the invite and said, let's find a way to make this happen. We're here in Tennessee, yeah. South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. Middle of nowhere. <laughs> or middle of everywhere, depending <laughs> on where you're at here this weekend. But uh, man, I couldn't be more excited to be with you. This is awesome. I was telling a buddy that I was getting ready to do this. And I said, what's really cool about this being my first podcast interview is that when I started this little barbecue, you know, Instagram journey, there was a guy who was kind of really generous at the beginning of all this, and that was you. Hmm. I literally remember like kind of being in my car and uh, listening, like I wasn't watching, it was listening to an Instagram live and you saw my name and you were like, made the smoke people, that's great. And you, <laughs> yeah. you were like, I love it, my family star. And I was just like, it felt, in that moment felt like, somebody has seen me and you've been so generous the whole time. So as a personal note, just thank you so You're much welcome. for that. This time together, I just want to spend some time just kind of getting to know you, getting to know your story uh, and just finding out what is the, the fire behind Live Fire Republic for you. So, so first let's just start with kind of your life story, how you got Man. to this point because now you're, you're kind of a big deal barbecue influencer, but it didn't start that way. And no. you weren't always cooking over live fire either. No, no, not at all. Well, first of all, thanks for the opportunity to be here with you. I just, you know, share with you how excited to, that I was to, to be here with you on this podcast, but where did it start? I've always had a passion for outdoor cooking, for live fire, some of my very earliest memories, like many folks probably in your audience. They're the memories of, of that smell and that essence of, of charcoal and cooking in the backyard of, you know, dad or grandpa burning to a crisp, a, a pile of burgers or whatever it might be. But your earliest memories, most of us, you can recall that smell, that feel, the breeze on a cool, uh, summer day of that barbecue, you know? And I mean, that's, there's, there's something that's romantic about that, that I think is in all of us. For me, I went to school on an art scholarship of all things. I worked in restaurants to the bone. I also played athletics in school, but I left with a finance and management degree. Where'd you go to school? I went to, I went, it was like a hobo. Uh, I, went, <laughs> I had my bag and I traveled to several different schools. So I started off as a small community college, actually the smallest community college in the state of Michigan. I went on an athletic scholarship. We were fortunate to have some great success. Our athletic team played in the College World Series. I went to West Virginia University. I was a, I was a mountaineer of all things. Yeah. And I'll tell you, that school, the only thing that came out of that school was a life lesson on how to have a real good time. <laughs> there wasn't much else happening right there academically. But I finished up school at Grand Valley State University. I'm a Laker for life, as they say. And we still call home, you know, West Michigan. As much as travel has taken us near and far and around the globe, you know, we still send our kids to school and pay taxes in the great state of Michigan. But where did it start? So culinary-wise, I really made a shift about 15 years ago, and I decided I'd arrived to this point in life that I'm really going to pursue my passion. I want to see the world. I want to 
learn new things and meet new people. And I want to, you know, fire cooking and, and cooking over fire was just something that was just, I mean, it's really just coming about 15 years ago. I mean, we've been doing it for hundreds of years, right? But the attention that it was getting at that time was, was pretty significant and it had always been a passion. And so I started writing a small blog called A Bachelor in His Grill. It's probably a pretty good descriptor of, of life at that period of time. Uh, a single guy moving about, cooking over fire. That was my thing. And about within six months of starting that blog, one of the earlier followers was the CMO, Chief Market, Marketing Officer for a very large outdoor grill manufacturing company based in Georgia. CMO reaches out and said, we love the content that you're doing. Would you have any interest in, in writing content for? And I'm like, wow, that is so cool. And he's like, and we'll give you a grill. And if you write tons of recipe for us, we'll give you $1,000 a year. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. $1,000 Here I'm a single guy, young guy. Uh, where could I even start spending this? You know what I'm saying? So that relationship, which started with writing recipe content for this company, I mean, they were so ahead of their time with it. What started with recipe writing there and backend content, ghostwriting content for them, turned into doing television work. It turned into traveling across you know, the country and hosting here I'm someone learning live fire at the same time writing recipes and really digging into this. And it, it you know, turns into um, hosting events by the likes of like Michelin starred chefs, Tom Douglas on, you know, in the Pacific Northwest. And I mean, the names are just insane. And here I am leaving my day job on Friday to fly to these ridiculous locations to work with the most famous chefs in the world over live fire. And, and that was my weekend life. And then that turned into traveling the world. And I've since had a chance to cook on every continent but Antarctica. And the real goal in that has been traveling to learn live fire cooking from people that have done a thousand years before us. How, how did those opportunities come up? Because you've, you've again, cooked on yeah. every, every continent. Like yes. kind of walk through like, what was that first, first invite like that? And where did you go? First big trip was actually to Ireland. And for me, that was a really good entree in for a couple different reasons. You speak the language. Yeah, I, I, obviously. You yeah. know, English is my first language right after drinking beer, you know. So I left with like a six-year degree at school of drinking beer. And I also had a management degree. So Ireland was the perfect place to go to start in it. What I love about Ireland is no one goes there for a bad time. You know mm. what I'm saying? Largest, like, no one goes to Vegas for a bad time. But half the people leave really upset because <laughs> they've lost all their money. Ireland, everyone goes, has an amazing time, and everyone leaves, and they're like, I just met people from all walks of life, a, a myriad of different cultures. It's this melting pot of people that connect in a different culinary experience, maybe outside of food, but around beverage. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just awesome. Really, really cool. And from there, that led us all around the world. Africa, Tasmania, Indonesia, through the Indian continent, Europe, uh, Scandinavia, Iceland, down to the very southern tips of Patagonia and Ishwaya. Almost every state here, the Union through Canada, Alaska, I mean, you name it. And we've been there to Galapagos. We've trekked camels across the arugula fields in the Sahara and cooked live fire in the middle of a desert oasis in the Sahara. I mean, just some of the stuff looking back has been pretty crazy. So think, think back through those continental trips and, yeah. and what, what are kind of one or two just like wow experiences that you just go, yeah. like, I mean, you just named one, you were, you were cooking uh, in the desert, Man. live fire. One of those just kind of pinch yourself moments where you're like, how did I get here? Man. Okay. So there's a couple. For me, cooking in Scandinavia, my family's all Norwegian. It was my great, great grandfathers that came here to the U.S. and 
you know, going back and cooking in Norway um, and in Sweden, it really felt like there was a, for the first time, a really good sense of connection between these culinary experiences that I was developing with kind of a sense of my own family's kind of history and culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that for me was super unique to actually go to a church that my family, whose names were on the grounds to have built thousand, uh, you know, I think it was a thousand years ago or something crazy like this. So the oldest churches in all of Norway. We've cooked um, live fire uh, with the gauchos in the in the very southern tips of, of Ushuaia. And one of the funniest stories actually about that whole trip is we flew in to the very southern portion of Chile uh, via Santiago. So we, our destination wasn't Santiago. It was another like four and a half hours south, uh, Punta Arenas. And we get in, run our vehicle. We eventually make our way through Argentina, across the Straits of Magellan, down into Tierra del Fuego. Is you're kind of though crossing this border in Tierra del Fuego, uh, between Chile and Argentina, there's a 15 kilometer zone. It's like a DMZ zone, right? So it's a demilitarized zone. It's a safe space between, but you, you're, you stay on the path only, right? So, so many of these experiences, yes, the cooking piece is cool, but it's all these other random things that pop up. You can't traverse the sides of this because there's so many landmines. And so often what the, the people who do traverse take their, I don't know if this is appropriate for this program or not, but they take their animals and send them out ahead. And the reason they do is to make sure they have safe pasture. We'll go out with 30 different, you know, farm animals, sheep, horses, wow. whatever. But, you know, and they walk the straight, narrow path behind those animals in the event that a landmine pops off, right? Well, in short, Chile, when we rented our vehicle, didn't license the vehicle to approve us to bring children in the vehicle, nor should the vehicle have been in Argentina. We were arrested and detained for 12 hours at the border while they worked with whoever they needed from the embassy to release us, and there was no way we could drive back because the gas stations are literally hundreds of miles apart in Tierra del Fuego. You fill up in Patagonia wherever you can. Like you got a full tank, you fill up your gas. You're empty, you fill up your gas. You fill up your gas five minutes ago, you fill up your gas. Because you don't know when the next gas station is going to pop up that's working. Wow. It's crazy. So, But we cooked lamb over live fire. I mean, looking across just along the way, a short trip is Antarctica. You know, it's the only place I've not cooked. So that's so close. One of my goals is I'm going to cook. I will cook in Antarctica before it's all said and done. God willing, and if I have the time and the resources, I will be there. I can certainly find a way. So, but I don't know where to end. Yeah, and I no. don't want to ramble on about that either. No, I, I I love that. One of the things you kind of said early uh, in the conversation was you talked about the rise of live fire cooking, of barbecue, yeah, kind yeah. of as a it's it's just never been more popular right what, what do you think has caused that like why now and the past well, 15 years reasons. there's a few reasons um i i believe and my take on live fire is different from a lot of people and it's not saying my take is one different or another but i really try to bring an elevated culinary aspect to live fire cooking so you see a lot of guys cooking over live fire and it's i have this pre-prepared barbecue rub and i have this pre-prepared barbecue sauce and here's my youtube video of me putting this seasoning blend on these ribs and then and that's it that's what barbecue has been for so long and i and so i think there are a collection of chefs across the globe that are taking really traditional technique and they're now applying it to live fire and i think live fire is the highest art form as it relates to cooking in the way that you curate texture and contrast and taste and flavor and the essence of your food 
let alone the aroma, mm. right? So all of these things that go into crafting an incredible meal, there's nowhere you can find a meal like than what's been prepared over live fire. You can't find it. It's the ultimate form of culinary expression, I believe, and the most difficult form of mastery is live fire cooking. And then secondarily, I mean, I just think that live fire cooking provides an experience. It's an experiential event, you know, from cooking to serving and just the way that fire creates community is so unique. Mm -hmm. The final piece, I think why it's so popular now, certainly through the course of the last two years with the health crisis that we've gone through, mm. you don't go, you're not going into a restaurant like you were anymore, sure. right? And frankly, I mean, it's become difficult to, it's not that I'm not interested in, you know, patroning a restaurant, but listen, it, it costs 30% more now to go to a restaurant than it did two years ago. Sure. I mean, and there's no restaurant to tell you otherwise. And mm -hmm. I have so much respect for culinary and chefs and our food service business and our, you know, our restaurant tours and these chefs owners. They have gone through something historic and I give them so much credit and I look forward to supporting them any way that I can. I just think people today are finding ways to better connect at home, better connect in their own small community and I think food is one way to do that. And it is no doubt the most fastest growing trends in cooking and in food is cooking at home, cooking over fire, and finding unique ingredients and recipes that they haven't used for the last two years. So if people have gone through all the spice rubs, people have gone through all the barbecue sauces, and now what they're looking for is unique flavors, unique textures and profiles and new vegetables and different proteins. And that's where I think some of the stuff that we're doing with Live Fire Republic, I think that's where we kind of hope to differentiate ourselves, not with corny wild stuff and gimmicky stuff that you see out there, but right. really, really well-prepared food all over Live. I was telling my oldest daughter what we were getting ready to do this weekend. We were coming down here to, uh, we didn't say it earlier, we're, we're at the National Cornbread Festival. Which yes, is one of the coolest events. Yeah. In the entire world, anywhere gone, this event here has so many good people. National Cornbread Festival, it's hosted by Lodge Cast Iron, Martha White Cornbread, Bush's Beans. I mean, the Big Green Egg is down here. I'm like, this is a great event in a small town. I think South Pittsburgh, Tennessee might be one of my favorite towns in the U.S. It's so cool. And the people are so ridiculously nice. Hey, that's welcome to Tennessee. Welcome to Tennessee. Jeez, it's it's beautiful. Uh, but here. I was telling my daughter, I was kind of saying what we were coming down to do, who we were going to be talking to. And so I pulled up your Instagram feed and I just started kind of thumbing through it. And I said, you know, when you see one of David's dishes, like, you know, when you see one of his photos, it doesn't matter. I could be just open up a photo blind. That's a live Fire Republic picture. And I think it goes directly with what you're saying. Like, you're not doing those traditional things. You're not doing, you know, there are times that you use an off-the-shelf rub. You use it, but you're going to do something that's going to elevate it. You're going to put it in a pan. You're going to put some morel mushrooms in it. You're going to do something that's just going to elevate it to a certain degree. What can, like, just the average guy who is just used to doing that sauce off the shelf, right. the rub off the shelf, like, how can he or she stretch themselves and feel safe doing it? Because it's, it's a little nerve-wracking when you're kind of, when you're home and you're <clears throat> trying to do something yeah. new? So this is what I would tell anyone. And I, whoever is listening to this, I don't care who it is, whether it's, you know, it's, it's, it's Joe here or it's, you know, the listener here of this podcast. The thing that I will, I will almost guarantee is I have messed up more times than you've ever succeeded. Done end of story. Uh, what shows up on social media is often the result of failing several times, right? 
of being humble enough to go try to learn from someone else. And that's been so many of these travels and experiences, just you know, humbling myself to say, listen, the more that I know, the more that I realize that I don't know. But I think it's, it's okay to mess up. And that's where I think that you tend to learn the most is get, go out and be creative. Try something different. Try something new. I mean, it, it's like you have one life to live and don't tell me you're gonna do burgers with salt, pepper, and a little shake of you know, garlic powder on it for the rest of your life. And I'm, that's a beautiful recipe, right? That's nice, I love it. But gal darn, have some fun. You only have so long, right? Go have some fun, find something new. Find some inspiration, connect with new people. But don't be afraid to mess up, above all. There is no shame in messing up. And you're right, it's a stigma that's out there. If I'm gonna try something new, it has to be perfect. And the truth is, you're gonna try something new and it's not gonna be perfect. And it's not gonna be what you expect, but you're gonna learn something along the way and you'll probably do it better next time. You know, The key is just getting comfortable with getting out there and trying new things. That's what I would encourage people to do. And you know, I think you know, I've, I've, got, uh, I've, got, I've got a buddy who says, you know, don't, don't compare your middle to somebody else's end. And, and right now, there's, there's a lot of folks on Instagram, you know, myself, just kind of starting out. They look at you and they want to, they want to be you. They want to have almost 200,000 followers. They want to have all these things. They want to have those perfect pictures. But you weren't always no perfect. No. In fact, I should show you some of my first photos. And it's funny because, like, along the way, there's a guy, there's several people so early. I remember one of them was a guy by the name of Barry Parsons. And he uh, ran a page called Rock Recipes. He's out of Canada. I don't even remember honestly how we even connected, but I do remember early on, I thought he just took great photos and he did give me some mentorship about that, you know? And I have a background in, in art, not specifically photography. My passion was always- But you understand art. composition of what something should look like, what makes sense, what catches a person's Completely. eye. That. And it's a recognition too, that your cell phone or even your digital, you know, your camera, you know, and I use, I think a Canon, like an R5 to do photos of a really nice camera. I think there are some basics that you learn over a period of time, but I think that if you really wanna be good at something, you've gotta commit yourself to it. Anyone can go back, I mean, if they go like, for example, like on my Facebook page, a couple hundred thousand people there too, and they go back into, you know, the archives, you can see this transition over a period of time of learning how to how to capture your food in a way that you know others might find appealing and i'm such a believer that the first sense that you eat with is actually your sense of smell and it's also the most powerful sense you have the greatest connection between your memory and one of your senses is your sense of smell the second thing you eat with is your eyes the third thing you eat with with your taste that you have in your in your palate so if I can hit on at least one of those, it, it becomes a, a much more attractive experience. Yeah, so, absolutely. To your point though, like that's the like the worst part about social media. Like, and I get this, I, I feel this way sometimes too. And it's like this continual battle, like social media is always changing. I was with a very good friend having coffee yesterday morning. He has a couple million people that, you know, follow his social media. He compares himself to people that, you know, have, you know, more quote unquote followers. Per, I, hate, I hate that word. You know, he's comparing himself to other people that have more than him. And it's, and it's just, it's this continual, it never ends. And this is what I really encourage people, particularly young people listening to this is like, we have to discontinue this thing where we compare ourselves against 
other people in a, in a way. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just content creators, I mean, are some of the people that suffer from the worst bits of, of mental health because it's this constant external third party affirmation that's needed to continue doing what you're doing. And the truth of the matter is, if you just get out there and you follow your passion, you work hard at it, become a student of what you wanna do, right? It's tough for people to miss that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, do you you post something? Let's say you post a, a reel, and you're like, "Man, this one's this one's great. Feel good about it." Yeah. Like, do you still like? I know I do. As a as a young Instagrammer, not young. I'm I'm old, but I'm young in the business. I'll go. This one's gonna be good, and I'll just I'll check back. I'll be like, I'm not gonna check for an hour, but I bet in an hour this thing's just gonna be going crazy. And then it's it's not I, I have no and I don't honestly I have no idea how these social media companies operate anymore like I I don't know and so I think that the challenge from from my end and I think the value prop for anyone that's listening to this is a you know someone that's interested in growing their business in this space is just stay true to yourself continue to put out super quality just focus on the quality of the content mm. you know what I'm saying and then focus on the volume side of it because you know i put up one the other day and you know folks out there probably don't know this you know but you'll go out i had a full day of filming for this piece of content full day of filming for the content edited it out took another three hours you have your voiceover that you're doing i mean there's folks don't know i mean this is a lot of work that mm -hmm. goes into this right it bombed I mean, it like honestly, like I don't even think anyone saw it. Largely because I don't think that social media is very interested in its viewership seeing animals that are being freshly harvested. But we are showing some of that, right? And I think it's important that people see where their food comes from. Mm -hmm. Social media does not believe the same thing, and that content is downgraded. Yep. But it is tough. I mean, it's mentally tough when you get out there and you're like, "Geez, I just put up another one of these. It bombed, right? You don't feel good about it, yeah. you know." But on the other hand, it's just like I, it's it's a grind. You know? And then you get that one that just shocks you and you're like, well, how did that even See, and that's, how did that even happen? I can't remember what the book I was reading. I think it was a 12 week year by, by Brian Moran. It's it's certainly not a cooking book. This is more of a, a, a life planning, goal planning book. But he talks about in his book, Greatness in the Moment. And so many people associate their success with the end result, mm -hmm. right? Like I've achieved X, Y, and Z. Like yep. this post was just amazing, right? And where you have to really find the love for what you do is in the process of it. Mm -hmm. Like, and if you can't find the love in the process of doing what you're doing and in the struggle and in the learning phase of this, anyone that's is trying to get into social media, should just, I mean, if you're getting into it for the business side of it, you gotta get out immediately. Uh, Cause it will, it, will, it will rip your heart out every single week. It takes a lot of grit to get to get through that. For you, I've seen a little bit of what you've shared kind of family-wise. You know, you're not, it's not family forward on your page, but if people are fans and have been following you for a while, they'll see the yeah. stories. They'll see every once in a while, something kind of heartfelt behind behind the curtain a little bit. I remember one story about your wife and kind of yeah. this, this life and death situation. Yeah. But, you know, talk about what that kind of family support means oh, geez, for forget you. Forget about it. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, I think anyone that's setting out, um, you know, anyone out there that's a business owner knows this. Like, it's not. Like, your success has <laughs> so little to do with you, <laughs> right? Um, and I give any business owner, I, and please hear me out on this one. Don't don't take what I just said and it, 
hear out me on the second piece of this. And I think any successful person knows that having good people around you is probably the single most critical ingredient to a recipe that yields success, right? Having great people around you. Yes, your drive is important. Yes, your grit is important. Yes, your vision is important. Yes, your, but your ability to surround yourself with really good people is so important. And honest to goodness, like I have, I have outkicked my coverage with my wife. I have, you know, I have no idea uh, why she continues to be married to me. She's a beautiful woman. We have five amazing kids at home. How she deals with that, like I have the easy job. You know what I'm saying? Well, today was a perfect picture of it. You worked all day. All day. She was being mom. Yeah. In a hotel or running around a festival <laughs> yeah, with, all over the with place. like a baby. And then my wife, kind of all our girls, they made the trip with me and you show up here, you're exhausted, yeah. and you've got this kind of one more commit, just one more thing, I promise this guy, we're gonna do this thing, I'm sorry, and wives meet, families meet, it's great, but then one of the kids starts kind of getting a little fussy, she's gotta <laughs> yeah. go do that, like in- Oh, she's and such then, a boss. And then you're off, we're just kind of hanging and having fun, they're the ones that let us do that. You're entirely right, I mean, I, I just, I wouldn't be able to do what I am able to do today if it weren't for having a strong marriage, having an incredibly strong and talented wife and someone who is just a beautiful mother, she's awesome. And there's, I mean, there's no chance. There's no chance. I mean, just like you, you have, you have four daughters. I didn't realize until today, we both have yeah. four daughters. Four weddings too, Yeah, by the way. I know. We have, I have so much estrogen in my house right now. I'm like, and I don't, my wife, I think would like to have one more. So I just, I, I pray for a little bit, just a little bit, not so much more estrogen. Just give me, Give me a little more masculinity in the house. I need it, you know, a different topic. But we couldn't do what we do without sure. having a strong partner and having a, a really strong marriage. And to me, that's the biggest challenge a lot, I think, with social media and was it, what it is that I'll do because I, you know, I'm traveling for filming. I'm traveling for, you know, content capture. I'm working in branded sponsorships and doing live events and all these things. Man, if we don't have a really good communication set, if we don't have a really good understanding of our, you know, our roles together and how we communicate together and how we work together, I know it just sounds like we do a bunch of part. That's not the case. I mean, there's a lot of this. I mean, it's just a complete team effort. And that the family understands the why. Completely. The, the why behind it. Why dad's going to do this thing and what this means and what this means for our house. And well, and the cool part has actually been is, and that's the thing that I'm really excited about because I spent years in, in finance and the thing that I loved most about that world was working in a sense of team and serving people and making a difference in, in their life and, and doing trying to do really positive things. Because like I said, I left school with a business and, and finance degree, but spending 12, 13, 14 hours at an office when I could be traveling the world with my wife and the kids. And we've just found so many cool ways through this to bring family into it. And yeah, I mean, the feed's not a family forward feed. Anyone knows if they follow my feed that, you know, I talk about my family enough. You gotta be careful out there a little bit because there's, it's a crazy world. Yeah. But my, if I think about what my thing that excites me most and what my number one concern is, my thing that excites me most is finding ways to bring family closer into what it is we do. Not into a business sense, but just how do I not separate my life in such wild ways that creates this distinction between all of this work and all of this effort and then the families at home, right? So that's like, in a, in a sense, my thing that excites me most because that's becoming more tangible now. And the thing that concerns me the most is in pursuing this, you know, 
there's always something to say yes to. There's always a new place to go. There's always a new place. There's always this this continual always, need to feed the another, monster. Another podcast that somebody's begging no, you to on. do. This is fun. This is fun stuff. And I'll tell you, by the way, like my average film day is like 16 to 17 hours. So I think I did like six hours of talking out there. Yeah. And then this is cool. This is fun. You can't do all of this unless you have a great foundation and a great sense of relationship, um, you know, with your family. It's just it, nothing else works. You have to have that baseline of your health, your wellness, your relationships with people close to you. That has to be strong yeah. to do anything else, let alone this. I wholeheartedly agree with kind of what you've, you've said, the foundation of family. And I think we're, we're both fortunate to have that. You know, you've talked about a lot of great cooking experiences, a lot of amazing things that you've done. You know, I was talking to my wife about it. She said, I, I want to hear like when he's messed up. Like I yeah. want to hear like, like some oh, of the things man. that like really, you know, like maybe something like your most famous kind of barbecue blooper just, this didn't go well. There's, there's probably no end to that. I mean, we can all think about those meals that we had certainly a high sense of expectation for that just didn't turn out the way that you really wanted to. And I can think of a myriad, I can think of plenty of events. So I, you know, I'll draw one that we did one in Houston. It was an awesome event. We were literally like on the roof of a building doing all live fire Live fire event, 110 people show up to this event. We had 70 tickets sold for the event. It was supposed to be a small private thing. Event coordinator comes in like three hours before the event. Oh, by the way, we sold an additional 40 tickets for the event. So you gotta have protein, you gotta have everything for 40 more people. Yeah, within like an hour. Yeah, yeah. Right, just pretty just standard stuff. Run down to the HEB. <laughs> yeah, exactly, the, or as we call it, the HEB. And then we got just completely blasted for it because it's not the HEB, it's HEB. Yeah. That's where you go. So, you know, you're dealing consistently, I think when in outdoor cooking, the thing that you've gotta be accustomed to is just, in what I think it takes to be successful is you have got to be accustomed to dealing with the unexpected. If you're someone that has a very stringent, linear approach to most things that you mm -hmm. take in life, yeah. I think it's very difficult to have an expectation for success, particularly in something called live fire cooking, right? And we hosted a live fire event in Houston in February, uh, an amazing event, first of all, an incredible amount of fun and everyone had a great time. But I also looked at on the backside of which no one saw because we had we ended up when I'll get this ridiculous amount of food. We had half we had probably thirty percent of our protein that never finished cooking. Why? Because they had a snap cold, they had a snowstorm, and here we are with all of these, you know, folks dressed fancy, women in their dresses, guys looking really nice, and everyone is on the top of a roof in Houston in the ambient temperatures affected the food in the way that we couldn't get the protein done. So <sighs> It's not as much about messing it up as it is about finding the alternative in the middle of the circumstance to make the best of it. You know, the what unexpected I'm saying? is going to happen. How do That's you respond? Right. What do you do? What's your play call at the line? When Completely. Are, yeah. What's the audible? Yeah. What's the pivot? And I think so many of these lessons in life, I mean, we're taught from, you know, from in school to athletics through mom and dad. I mean, these are simple things, but I mean, when you apply them to your cooking experience and in your process, I mean, just being able to pivot, you know, and not let the circumstance at hand dictate how you feel. You know what I'm saying? The circumstance might dictate how you respond. It shouldn't dictate how you feel, but we're making pivots, making adjustments. And mm -hmm. I'll tell you, we left with the happy crowd. Did it result like we imagined? No, but that's probably a pretty good example. And that happens all the time. I'm going to jump way back. You said something that just kind of has been bouncing around in my head. We're both from Michigan. Yes, um, two Michiganders on one podcast. How yeah. about them apples? And growing up, like for me, barbecue 
didn't exist. Right, right, right. Um, it was not like if somebody was grilling or barbecuing, it meant burgers, hot dogs, or brats. You could tell me like, you were grilling or you were barbecuing, and, and I just thought it was the same. I thought it meant yeah. the same thing. It wasn't until I moved down here to the south, right, that I was really exposed. When to, you were beaten for calling, you, I'm going to go cook on the barbecue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but you said something like remembering those smells, yeah, yeah. remembering that charcoal. For me, it was lighter fluid. Yes, Kings, yes, yes. Kingsford yeah. briquettes. Completely. You know? Completely. And really overcooked burgers. Was was anybody in your family good over live fire? You know, my mom is a brilliant cook, but to this day, like we just had we just had a birthday celebration. My uh, my daughter Alex turned two and everyone wanted burgers, right? And this is like March. So March in Michigan, you don't do much grilling outdoors mm-hmm. March in Michigan, yeah. right? Uh, down here it's beautiful. Right, yep. it's beautiful March. Yeah, it's uh, what is it now? Like the end of April, it snowed twice last week in Michigan. It's the worst. It's awful. That place is a chilly, awful place to be most of the year. It's incredible. And I'll tell you, the reason that like 50 million people don't live in that state is because it is terrible. But six months. But the, the other, the magic of summer in Michigan. Man, just those those nights around the campfire. Yes. Up, up north, Forget around some wa- water. No, people don't know. And yeah. they don't know. They don't know about it. They, they think of Michigan, think of Detroit. Yeah. Think of Flint, oh. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know something about that, right? But I will tell you, Michigan might be the most beautiful place in the world for like three months a year. It's amazing. So my dad, to this day, like we had burgers this past week, did burgers for everyone, like a traditional summer cookout in Michigan. We did it in March. I have to put his burger on 15 minutes before everyone else. I mean, if he can't, I mean, if that thing doesn't have a a bark to bite on, you know what I'm saying? Like you couldn't break your plate with it, smacking around. It just, it's, it's something else. I mean, the way that he loves a burger, God bless his heart. He, uh, he loves he loves a burger that's well done. You know All what right, I'm saying? So are you I put up a recent post and I was kind of shocked by it. Yep. It was smash burger or thick and juicy. Yeah. And the response shocked me, but I want to know which way are you going? See, like I'm not a big smash burger guy. Okay. I'm not. And I know there's a lot that I mean that is a that's a trend in itself right there right now as well, yeah. right? It's I mean people love them. There's yep. nothing wrong with them. Yep. It's just not for me. I'm also full disclosure, I'm not a big onion guy. And what guys are doing is they're getting I mean they're really beating the tar out of those proteins, smashing them down into a pile of onions with a lot of grease, a lot of butter, yep. a lot of oil. And that has its place. And I yeah. and I don't just, mind having just, one of those. Just not your place. You just don't want that burger. Don't bring it to my house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be prepared at my house. You're not going to see it at my house. But I do love a good, hearty burger. You know what I'm saying? Cooked like medium, medium rare. Like I'm like a medium rare, medium guy. I'll lean a little heavier into medium for my burgers sure. for the most part. Yeah. But if I'm preparing, you know, most proteins, it's a, it's a medium rare yeah. for me. I think that when you start getting deeper along kind of this cook pattern from medium to medium. You just, you're losing not just flavor changes in a way. You're not losing flavor. The flavor changes, but it's the texture that I hate. I hate the texture. And then you also lose the, this kind of the juiciness that exists in there. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So I think for folks that are thinking about like, I want a burger that is more well done. I've said, well, listen, use a two zone setup get a really good char for it, and then move it off to that indirect side so you're not just continually blasting that burger with direct heat. You know what I'm saying? 
And for a lot of folks, it's been a way to still retain some juiciness with inside that burger. You're not blasting it to get it to its meat, to its well done state, you know, yeah. but use that two zone fire. And that's a way to kind of get the best of both worlds. So 70% agreed with you. They, they, they didn't like the smash burger. They did so, not. Oh, so, oh, wow. Even, even now, as hot as that trend is, I, I, I feel, yeah, anyway, but I, I was surprised by that. Yeah, I was too. I really was. Huh? I will say that one of my prouder moments as a father is the fact that that our girls and now my wife are eating eating everything kind of that that medium a little under medium yeah. medium rare and it's just the way it's served and they all they all like it and that's uh, awesome and so now that they, they know how to eat and to each their own and I you know and you no, know what God no, bless my no. dad for loving well done it's burgers just, he's wrong it's I, not each yeah own. no there's there's <laughs> God bless a, him but he's just incorrect <laughs> he's yeah it's wrong God bless him sure yeah God bless everybody exactly. Um, Hey, one thing I want to do on this podcast, and this is how we're going to close, um, is I, I want to give people something tangible to take away, and I'm going to ask the same kind of question to everybody, and it just it's around ribs, and I just want like quickly like your your go to preparation. Oh my god, I don't for, even think I'm going to give you my go to, but I can't wait to tell you this actually because I'm going to we're going to get off the podcast, and I can't show it because I'm on an NDA with this, but I got a snippet. We're doing, we have this, I have a massive film project I'm invested in. So nice. what people are going to see on Live Fire Republic tomorrow is different what they've seen yesterday. And it's going to be night and day. So we have two massive film projects underway. I can only talk about one of them. The second one you're not going to see until 2023. Like it'll premiere on television. I can't talk anymore about it, but. Such a tease, we're, man. Uh, we're contracted to do 100 episodes for YouTube this year. I've been filming in my, if you go to my social media right now, you'll be like, where's this guy been for like months? Like I'm literally off the grid, off the grid completely, mm -hmm. yeah. which is tough then to maintain your social media. And so I've subsequently like crushed the momentum of my social. And so I'm in the process of building the back up. But yep. in one of the episodes that we just filmed, uh, and I'll tell you about my basic way. I got to tell you about this one though. We were three and a half hours from like the middle of nowhere. We're on the Canadian border uh, on the... What river was it that we were on? The Lake, uh, the Coeur d'Alene River in Oda mm -hmm. in Ohio. <laughs> you've, in talked lot, you've talked a lot today. Ohio. Uh, in Some Idaho. people call it Idaho. Yeah, right, Idaho. Right. Others, others, you know, locals call it Idaho. <laughs> but so we're uh, three hours from the middle of nowhere, the very northern fork and stretches of the Coeur d'Alene River, um, which is just that whole that place right there. If people honestly haven't been Idaho, you're not going to find. You could travel the world. You're not going to find many places. You could say, oh, it's 10% more beautiful here, maybe 15. Like Idaho is, there's no one that lives there. Hmm. I mean, there's a lot of people live there. In some of these most beautiful locations, I mean, you just can't see this stuff. But we're trekking out there. There's moose walking by. These moose wouldn't fit, honest to God, in this room. I swear to you, I'm not even exaggerating. They wouldn't fit in the room. There's elk moving about. And here we are. I'm out there with a the film crew. And um, we've trekked to this spot. We had a guide that shared this spot with us. He'd fished there since he's been five years old. He's 35 now. He's been 30 years fishing out in this area. And we, uh, we decided that we're going to do ribs. We did live fire ribs. And essentially, we walked out with these kind of like locally harvested uh, baby back ribs. <laughs> they were like $57 a rib. I mean, it's terrible with inflation and all else right now. But... I'm sure like a year ago, they would have been the same price, but today they're like 50 bucks or whatever. I mean, was, they were beautiful though. And so we propose to do what I think is the most challenging of rib cooks, which is open fire ribs. 
you know, so I think there's folks out there that, you know, you're using your pellet smoker, using your offset, you're using your, your grill in a two zone setup, right? We're doing open fire in the middle of the mountains with, no, with nothing around us but the resources we have access to. And so we brought out, I call it a fire table, but it's a grate that has foldable legs down, it's metal, um, seasoned out the ribs. And we used a kosher salt, black peppercorn, I actually used, I think in that recipe, I think we did a Duke's mayo is mm. what we did is our, is our binder, which nice. I think is phenomenal. If people haven't tried that, yep. using Duke's mayo is great. People use mustard. I think mustard is a binder on pork and things like that. I think that stems from just the traditions of the South. It's a very mm-hmm. cheap binder. It doesn't impart a lot of taste one way or the other. It's usually lost in the rub, but yep. I think the mayo offered a really kind of unique piece, but we had in there, we had uh, ancho chili. And I'm trying to remember all this again, but it's like ancho chili. We had smoked paprika. We had some roasted granulated garlic. We had cumin that was in there. Plenty of salt, black pepper, corn, brown sugar. So we have a, it's a lot of the traditional types of things. Mm-hmm. And we ended up finishing it with a huckleberry uh, huckleberry uh, barbecue sauce that we created all over the fire. So all the fire, right? Uh, open style of fire for the cooking, uh, charred off the ribs until you built this beautiful crust directly with fire, just like you'd prepare a steak. And then we took river, the in the riverbed behind us in the Coeur d'Alene River, they have these massive flat stones. I mean, they're huge, huge. And we built an oven in the middle of the mountains. We built an oven in the middle of the mountains. We capture this all for the YouTube um, episode. It's going to launch here. I think uh, I think that one's going to come out in May, maybe May or June. In the center, we have an open area where the where the air's coming in and the fire's getting fueled. We have the ribs after they were seared, triple wrapped, and we had a little bit of apple cider vinegar, and I think we had I don't know, some Coors Light with us or something mm-hmm. like that. We filled up the bottom of that tin foil pocket, wrapped them triple, put them in the bottom, and just uh, put those rocks over the top. And you had the rocks that were getting heated and then radiating the heat back mm-hmm. through. They were amazing. Like if it was reasonable to cook with riverbed, you know, bottom flat rocks. That's what you would recommend to everybody. Everyone should do it. Everyone should do it. So that whole that episode, a live fire republic, we're actually uh, in the process right now of launching a brand new YouTube channel. If anyone goes to my YouTube channel right now, just please don't. But starting in May, we have something re- absolutely ridiculous that doesn't exist right now on social media, and we're going to be sharing. It's all live fire. Uh, we're flying across the globe to cook in the most ridiculous locations you've ever seen. Everything is over fire. It's it's so cool. That's exciting. Can't so I completely to... I completely bombed your question. No, no, whatever no. that is. So real quick, yeah. go to rib for the everyman who's not in Idaho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cooking over a convection yeah. river stone. Oven. Listen, I'm I'm a pretty simple guy when it comes to ribs, and I think you know often simplicity is the the beauty of a recipe. I think. If it's an everyday guy out there, I, I, I would get out, go to a site like livefirerepublic.com or get out to May the Smoke Be With You. Find some inspiration for what is really love to do. There's nothing wrong out there with salt, pepper, garlic, a little bit of you know, chili, paprika, some cumin, some pretty traditional things, maybe a, a pinch of cayenne to build up some heat, brown sugar, right? Mm-hmm. And so for folks out there, I think that just get those ribs out on your grill on an offset you know, setup, which would either be charcoal ignited ashed over move to one side of the grill set the ribs to the other side just let them build a little bit of bark a spritz with some apple cider um apple cider vinegar combo maybe a two to one combo there just spritz them up let them sit for that first hour develop a little bit of bark 
and then let that vinegar and the sweetness of the cider really start to build some flavor and break down that connective tissue. I, I think that's that's it, right? Put them in the wrap. I have a lot of guys that won't wrap until they get to like 170, 180 on the ribs. I like the wrap better than I like the unwrapped. At 195, if they're showing teeth, I'll pull them off. Mm-hmm. If they get, if they're not showing teeth, the ribs. When I talk about that meat pulling back from the bone, yep. exposing the bone on the bottom, I'll usually leave them up till I get to about 200, 205. In the last 15 minutes, I rip off the um, the tin foil, get them directly over the fire. If you're going to use a barbecue sauce, that's when you put it on. I'm going over the fire, ripping hot, and I'm just caramelizing one sweet, beautiful layer of barbecue sauce after another, right over the ribs. So, I mean. And to me, that's it. Last but not least, big recommendation for folks is any protein you're cooking, ribs or otherwise, just like let it rest for just like five minutes, seven minutes, 10 minutes, just let it rest. No one needs to eat it right off the grill, but you're allowing those proteins to reconstitute. You're allowing those juices to flow back into the meat. Don't slice it open and let all of that fall out on the cutting board. So, I mean, for me, simple recipe, that's, that's probably the deal. Sounds great. Yeah. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, yeah, and a, a mayo binder. And a <laughs> mayo binder. A mayo binder. I'm uh, not here hard selling mayo binders. I'm just find a good binder for, for your rubs, I, you know, whether it's it's mustard, it's mayo, it's it's olive oil, whatever you love to do, you yeah. know. But hey. just get out there and try something new, for I'm goodness te- sakes. I'm, I'm Team Dukes. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all for Yeah, it. yeah, same. All right. Man, what a pleasure. Thanks we'll for do being it again. here. We'll do it again. We will. It sounds like it's going to be an amazing, exciting year for you. Can't wait to see everything really the next two years, man, with this other project in 23. It's be crazy. Really excited for you. Thanks for being here. Thanks, man. Yeah, no, I'm so glad to have this invite. It's a privilege. We've been connected for a long time on social. I love what you're doing. And, um, you know, I'm just glad to be a part of this. All right. Your assignment, everybody. Go give uh, my buddy Live Fire Republic a follow. You won't be disappointed. Thanks a lot. Thanks, man, so much. Thanks for listening to the May the Smoke Be With You podcast with Joe Levitt.